This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Air Force and the Business School at the University of Maryland have teamed up. Their program helps Air Force and Space Force officers get their MBAs, specializing in technology management. The officers return as faculty members of the Air Force Academy. Ultimately, they hope to speed up technology adoption by the armed services. One member of the program, Space Force Captain Jared Bogdan, joins me now in studio. Captain Bogdan, good to have you in. Thank you for having me. And now you started out in the Air Force and ended up in the Space Force. Just tell us how that happened for a minute. That's correct. So after I graduated from the academy uh, in 2018, I spent about two and a half years in the Air Force as a satellite engineer. And then as the Space Force came to be, they identified about five core jobs um, that would transition from the Air Force into the Space Force. And as an engineer, I was one of those. So the Space Force started December 2019. And then starting in 2021, those organic career fields were able to transfer. And so as an engineer... I moved over to the Space Force. And they call you Guardians now, right? That's correct. Yes, guardians, yeah, guardians out there in the galaxy, I guess, or something like that, not meaning an old Ford. All right, so your interest is in technology adoption by the armed services, Air Force, Space Force, and I guess the rest of them too. So how did this interest come about? As I've seen you know, through my short period of time in the armed services now, one of the main focuses is how are we leveraging the capabilities of the private sector and then bringing those capabilities into the public ecosystem. You know, coming to the University of Maryland, I was incredibly happy to see that this technology management program was coming to be because the focus was on how are we engaging with the private sector to bring those capabilities into the public ecosystem. Got it. And so you are, what, full-time in school? I mean, how does it work with respect to your career day-to-day? Yes, full-time student at the University of Maryland. Afterwards, I returned to the Air Force Academy and teach in their Department of Management. Still active duty throughout being a student as well as being faculty at the Air Force Academy. Good. So then you are getting an MBA. And what are the courses? I think of MBA as a lot of marketing and statistics and that kind of thing. But yes. we're talking about technology management. So there are certainly those courses. There's a core set of courses that we all take as MBA students. I've chosen to focus my MBA on kind of leadership and organizational change, as well as this technology management certificate that I've enrolled in. So the technology management certificate hosts a number of classes from law to they partner with the engineering school. Um, There's a component of marketing in there. And then uh, when I'm taking classes in College Park, that's when I'm focusing on the leadership and organizational change and such. Right. And your undergraduate degree, which you got at the Air Force Academy, correct? Correct. That was engineering. That was in astronautical engineering, yes. And so that is what I think set me up for the job right afterwards in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as a satellite operations engineer and eventually program manager. Yeah, what do a satellite operations engineer actually do? I mean, the satellite sits up there and it goes around the Earth and beams down data. Sure. Yeah, so in a perfect world, you'd never have to look at the satellite again and kind of be a lights-off operation. Of course, things go wrong. And as a satellite engineer at the time in the Air Force, I was working with a lot of contractors who developed and operate the satellite to assess scenarios where we may need to change a position or maybe a mission set changes and we need to you know, reposition, something like that. And so in my role, I can't say that they don't exist, though in my role, I wasn't actually doing the engineering of the satellite. I was overseeing the operation and planning of a satellite mission. So sometimes you have to send a signal to it to turn left a little bit or turn right. It has thrusters, right? Correct. Yep. So if you need to do a basic maneuver to keep it in its 
spot in orbit. You can upload burn plans, and that'll you know move it around just slightly. You're also monitoring its health and safety throughout its orbit, and so every three, four times a day, you'll do what's called a contact with the satellite, where you'll connect with it, get its telemetry down, make sure it's still you know 100% healthy, uh, and then you'll lose sight of it, and it'll go on its way. And hopefully it comes back and around it comes, on the other side. Hopefully it comes back. We're speaking with Space Force Captain Jared Bogdan. He's in the MBA program at the University of Maryland's Smith School of Business. And what's it like being the military guy in there with everybody else maybe business-oriented or not having been in the service? So it certainly adds a different perspective. There are, I think, five or six of us veterans, and there's one more active-duty person in the MBA program that I am in. And so it certainly brings a different perspective to business challenges that we discuss. You know, I remember in an econ class, some of the questions that I was asking, you know, they pertain to the federal government. And although that's not common to most of the people in the program, it may affect them as, you know, we see public and private sector relationships develop. And so I think one of the unique aspects that, you know, military members bring to programs that are typically private sector focuses, um, you know, what does that relationship look like? How can it be fostered, developed, and facilitated? And what in, I guess, high school or even before that gave you the idea that this is the path you wanted to go toward the Air Force? Ah, so this is a, a fun story. My mom, uh, she suggested I go to the Coast Guard Academy. I'm from New Jersey. It was in you know, New London, Connecticut. Turns out I'm colorblind, and so my options were the Air Force Academy or West Point. I chose the Air Force Academy, and it kind of all went from there. But you must have been a smart cookie because it's not so easy to get into West Point or the Air Force Academy. No, no, yes. I like to think so. Uh, and the school I went to, very small school in New Jersey, but they did a great job of prepping everyone who goes there. And why is colorblindness a handicap for the Coast Guard but not for the Air Force? Because you've got sky and sea and clouds and different colored instruments on the panel? Well, so I think for the water fairing services, they use lights to discern you know, indicators of ships and aircraft. Color deficiency in the Air Force uh, is a limiting factor. You know, I wasn't able to be a pilot, though I was able to be an engineer. And there are a handful of jobs that you can do where color vision is not a limiting factor. Engineer is one of them. And what's your long-term goal? I mean, it must be good to teach at the Air Force Academy, but it's not very, I don't know, there's no motion to it. Right. So that's a three-year assignment. Long-term, you know, as of now, I think I'm on the 25-year track in the Space Force. I enjoy what I do. I feel no reason to change what I'm doing. And as long as it's fun and I feel motivated by the work, I have no plans to get out. And at some point, though, you'd like to get into the program management aspect of technology and satellites and somehow bring that all together, sounds like. Yes. And that's already happening, you know, on programs, especially in space, I think. We're, as program managers, we're looking to bring in, you know, small businesses and capabilities that would make our programs more efficient, effective, give us a competitive advantage. And so, you know, emerging technology will always be a big part of program management, at least, I think, in the field that I'm in. And what about acquisition and acquisition management? Because so much of the satellite industry is becoming commercial. Yes. And even the armed forces are saying, you know, they will avail of themselves of those commercial services and not try to do everything in-house except the most crucial things that only the military can do, for example. So that's an incredibly important part as well. I think one of the greatest challenges for small businesses is understanding how to partner with the federal government because the acquisition process is, it's challenging. You know, I'm seeing steps now where the, at least the Space Force, Air Force as well, are educating and providing opportunities for small businesses to interact with the federal government. Basically to say, 
here's how you do business with us. Let's lower these barriers to entry because what you have to offer is what we want. Um, and so that's one of the great things about this technology management program is they are addressing you know those concerns and those processes to allow both sides to facilitate that relationship. Space Force Captain Jared Bogdan is in the MBA program at the University of Maryland Smith School. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Take the Federal Drive wherever you go. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care. And and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, p- profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom and comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands a bit. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, 
you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yep. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialympics.org on, on our website, 
uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.